Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, March 9th, and this is your FT News Briefing. The U.S. and U.K. have banned oil and gas imports from Russia, which once again caused prices to spike yesterday, and that could spell bad news for Western economies. If those prices go up, then we have often less money to spend on other goods and services, and that means the economies can fall into recession. Plus, with all this talk about fossil fuels, have we lost sight of a green transition? We'll take a look. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. The U.S. and U.K. will no longer bring in Russian oil and gas. The European Union did not follow suit. It relies a lot more on Russian energy than the U.S. and U.K. But the EU did say yesterday it would cut Russian gas imports by two-thirds within a year. The price of oil, which had already been surging, jumped on Tuesday after the U.S. announced the ban. There are now fears of an oil shock, stagflation, and even an oil-driven recession, especially in Europe. The FT's economics editor, Chris Giles, has more. Well, it's an unfortunate fact that we still need oil and gas or energy as a whole to produce goods and services, and they are absolutely essential for the production process. So that if those prices go up, then we have often less money to spend on other goods and services. And that means the economies can fall into recession if the price rise is big enough and the countries are consuming countries. So it really hits them really hard. So is this idea of stagflation and oil price driven recessions a done deal? Is there anything that can be done to avoid it? Well, it's not a done deal. I think there are some things that we can be hopeful about and then some things we can do about it. Now, it's obviously much, much more acute, the problem for oil-consuming countries. But even there, we should uh, take account of a couple of things. First of all, that uh, European economies, along with the rest of the advanced economies, have been growing very strongly. So it's coming off quite a, a lot of momentum, whatever the hit is going to be. Secondly, we have actually got a lot less of dependence on oil and gas than we used to, certainly in the 1970s. So roughly to produce goods and services now, we need roughly half the amount of oil we needed in the 1970s. So it doesn't have as large of an effect as it did then. And thirdly, I think we are going to see some pretty big policy efforts made by governments and central banks, but mostly by governments, to try and shield consumers a little bit from the rise in energy prices. Just want to follow up with something that our colleague Derek Brower told us yesterday. We're on a fossil fuel binge. How does that square with what you're saying about using oil more efficiently? Unfortunately, it does square. It is just that the global economy is far, far larger than it was in the 1970s. So even though we're much better at using oil and gas, we are still using a huge amount of it. So Chris, is there anything in your conversations with economists or anything that you were doing while you're researching this story that really stuck out to you? Yes, a few things. One is the refugee crisis from Ukraine, and the numbers are going to be, already are extraordinary, are going to be absolutely extraordinary. So long as European countries and the EU has said that Ukrainians can work, it does seem as if we might be able to absorb them into the labor markets and make their lives better rather faster than we did in the Syrian crisis. With this influx of of, uh, refugees into the rest of Europe, what does that mean 
uh, bigger picture for for the macroeconomic side of things? Well, I think it means ultimately that some of the financial burden of refugees will be much lower if they can find jobs themselves. What it really means ultimately for the macro picture inflation recessions and all of that is probably minor because the numbers still are small relative to the size of the economies. But what it does mean is that if people do work, it means that they not only bring extra demand, but also extra supply. So that should balance out in the sort of growth inflation trade. So it does ameliorate some of the stag part of the stagflation story that we were talking about. Chris Giles is the FT's economics editor. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Mark. Now, there's been a lot of focus on fossil fuels since Russia invaded Ukraine. That's because as the West cuts energy ties with Russia, they've looked for more alternatives. And more oil has been released into the system to try and offset the higher prices Chris was just talking about. And there's been some thought that this moment might stall the global transition to greener energies. The FT's environment and clean energy correspondent Leslie Hook says you really have to go back to last year to truly understand what's going on. What we saw happen in 2021 was that actually global emissions hit a historic high. So even though at the same time as you had COP26, you had all these net zero pledges, 2021 saw global emissions of carbon dioxide from energy reach a new high. And that's according to data that was just published by the International Energy Agency uh, with some new analysis that they'd done. So when the world recovered from the COVID-19 pandemic, it was very much turning to fossil fuels, and particularly coal, to contribute to economic growth, get the lights back on. Felt like the energy transition went into reverse last year if we just look at what was actually happening on the ground. Now, Leslie, some governments are using the war in Ukraine as an opportunity to push toward clean energy. How come? Well, in Europe, we have seen in particular a huge surge of focus, uh, money, attention on boosting clean energy as a way to reduce reliance on Russian energy imports. So there's certainly a feeling across Europe that this is the moment to boost renewables in order to reduce Putin's control over the continent. That said, it's very hard to do that immediately. You can't just snap your fingers and have a wind farm pop up. It takes time. So in the short term, it looks like Europe may be burning more coal, uh, but in the long term, probably accelerating the transition. Now, we're focusing a lot of our conversation on Europe and Russia, and, you know, we should. But what about China? Uh, They use a lot of fossil fuels. How do they play into this whole green transition that we're talking about here? Well, that's really interesting. And and one thing we don't know yet is what Beijing's position on the war in Ukraine really is. China does import some energy from Russia. They have one gas pipeline, but it's not actually a lot they're more likely to be impacted by the extremely high prices globally for oil and gas. And China, of course, is a net energy importer. Um, Typically, when China experiences energy shock, its response is to burn more coal. So as oil and gas prices rise, we are likely to see China turn back to coal, which it can produce domestically to keep power stations going. So bottom line, Leslie, has the green transition been derailed? Uh, How would you characterize it? I think the war in Ukraine could really shift government thinking about fossil fuels. It's going to 
starts to change consumer behavior. I mean, driving a gasoline-burning car is going to become really expensive. So I think that we're only two weeks into the war. It's still playing out. But I, I think maybe it could ultimately help speed up the energy transition. Leslie Hook is the FT's environment and clean energy correspondent. Tens of thousands of Russians are fleeing their country as the war in Ukraine intensifies. They're leaving for a number of reasons, from the economic fallout due to Western sanctions to the Kremlin's crackdown on dissent. Almost all European airspace is closed to Russian aircraft, so people are flying to places like Israel, Turkey, and Georgia. Flights to these places have been sold out for days. Now, if Russians stay in the places they're immigrating to, it could be really bad for Russia. Analysts say losing a good chunk of the population could cause significant damage to an economy already hit by Western sanctions. And before we go, along with people, Western brands are, of course, fleeing Russia. And yesterday, it was a lot of food and beverage companies that announced their departure. Starbucks, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, they all said they were suspending activity in Russia. So did McDonald's. The Golden Arches will temporarily close all 850 of its restaurants. McDonald's CEO Chris Kamchimsky cited supply chain disruptions as well as the humanitarian crisis in Ukraine, and he said it was impossible to predict when they would reopen. McDonald's has 62,000 employees in Russia. The company said it will continue to pay them. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.